The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for jumping in today. We are continuing through the Gospel of Luke. We're in the 13th chapter, so there's only 24 chapters. We are well beyond the halfway point. We're going to continue to go just verse by verse through it. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we had Mother's Day, but then we, we saw Jesus really finish his section on the end times. Not necessarily what will happen, but making sure you're ready for them and Last week, we heard, you need to repent. You need to turn to God or you will perish. That is heavy, heavy language. And on the tail end of that, we get to see this beautiful story of God's compassion, his mercy, and his grace. So so Jesus absolutely wants us to know the truth and be ready. And that is actually his mercy and grace as well. But today, as we continue through Luke chapter 13, we will see him see a need, meet a need, catch flack for meeting that need. And his response is one that I think we all need to see and hear to understand just the overwhelming love that the Father has for us. So we're in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 13 is where we'll start There's a woman in need in church. Jesus has been invited to speak in the synagogue, even though his last few sermons have been very heavy. He gets asked to come in on the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, and to speak. And let's pick it up now. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. We're not sure which one, but Luke records it anyway. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She's a crippled woman. Her affliction is one that's demonic, okay? So her physical affliction is one that's demonic. That's important to understand. And then Luke, the great physician, he even adds in there, 18 years, this woman has been suffering from that. Now, we don't know how old the woman is, so we don't know, was she born with this affliction? And and Satan is the one who did that. We don't know, but she has been suffering for a long time. And at the beginning of verse 11, there's an untranslated word that says, behold, behold, there was a woman. See, Jesus had been teaching for however long, and then he notices, oh, oh, dear child, you're hurting. In preaching school, you're taught to never, ever acknowledge anything that's distracting within the room. Baby's crying, cell phone goes off, people are talking. When I was in youth ministry, looked out one time, there's two kids literally making out in the back row. You're taught to just keep going. The message is the message. You get through the message, but Jesus stops and he shows his compassion. Behold, there's someone here that's in need. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Her affliction was a curvature of the spine. That's what the Greek literally says. Her spine was bent. She could not straighten up. It had been that way for a long time. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. And he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Can, Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine her fear? When she's called out, the sermon stops. The sermon stops, and she's called out 
woman come up here and she can't stand, hunched over. She walks or waddles towards the front of the synagogue. Can you picture this moment? Jesus knows what's going to happen, but she has no idea. And in front of her peers, her friends and her family, she comes to the front and Jesus says, you, you're set free. What Satan intended for your harm, I have freed you from. You are whole, you are restored, you are renewed. Verse 13, then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. We plan out our church services and we hope that there'll be moments like these where God shows up and he moves in mighty mighty ways. But can you imagine that response time? Can you imagine that moment in the synagogue on that day where a woman who'd probably been there most of her life, and for 18 years, everyone said, you know, if you're sitting by so-and-so, you know, just be aware. She, she's, she's bent over. Her spine's curved. There, there's nothing we can do. And on this day, this, this guest preacher shows up. Many of them have probably heard of Jesus And as he's expounding on the scriptures, he stops and he beholds the suffering of this woman and he calls her forward and he heals her. And her response is one that is our natural response when God intervenes, when he steps into our hurt, when he steps into our sorrow, when he steps into our trials, when he steps in and responds she praises him. And, and I, I just hope, I hope that we as a church, we, we get to see God do these types of miracles because he still does and he still can and he wants to. But we have to make sure that we don't stand in the way. We have to make sure that we allow our pride to, to drift away and that we allow him to move God had been anointed. God had anointed Jesus to do just this. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we we read this. Now God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's what Jesus possesses. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, just like this woman. Now, we have to be very, very, very careful here. Not all sickness is the result of Satan. Not all harm is the result of Satan. There is just sickness in the world. There's brokenness in the world. But for this particular woman, her affliction was caused by Satan. And Jesus has power over Satan, given to him by his father. He went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. This woman on this day, on this Sabbath day, she's renewed, she's restored, she's set free, she's healed by the hand of God. And in response, she praises him. That that should have been the end. There, There should have been a hymn and then everyone's dismissed to go to lunch. That's exactly what should have happened. But instead, the synagogue leader gets his feelings hurt. Wait a minute, I invited you in. 
wait a minute, you're getting all this praise. Wait a minute, Jesus, I, I, I've got to take back over this situation. I have to exert my control. Luke chapter 13, verse 14. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? That's not allowed. We don't do that. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. Any of the other days would have been great. Come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. You didn't come here to be healed today, woman. What is your problem? Jesus, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? The synagogue leader, he wanted to take on Jesus personally. I'd invited you to speak, and now everyone's amazed at you. He has to save face. You can almost sense and feel his pride in this moment. So he gets the attention of the congregation, and then he does the unthinkable. He blames Jesus and the woman for healing on the Sabbath. How dare you do this on this day, a day of no work? Now the leader... The synagogue leader, he's calling on the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And he wants to maintain his religious authority, so he's going to use Scripture. Exodus 20, 9 and 10. Here's the Scripture he's calling on. The fourth of the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, there's a Sabbath, it's a rest day to the Lord your God. It's supposed to be set apart for him. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Everyone, everyone has to rest on the Sabbath day. That is the law of God. And the religious leader, the synagogue leader, he is correct in this. But the intention of the Sabbath was something so good. It was something given by God to us so that we don't run ourselves into the ground, so that we don't forget him. On the Sabbath, you were forbidden from doing any kind of work. Couldn't plow or harvest. It's Exodus 34, 21. Couldn't build a fire or prepare food. You had to do that the day before so that you could truly just take the day off and rest. That's Exodus 16, 23. Couldn't make wine. That's Nehemiah 13, 15. You couldn't carry anything. Couldn't do that. You were supposed to rest. You couldn't trade or sell on the Sabbath. That's Amos 8, 5. There were all of these biblical commands. But just like man loves to do, they came in and they started adding traditions, oral traditions on top of these commands. And while Scripture never says you can't heal on the Sabbath, there was this understanding that you could only, only give life-saving attention. Someone falls into a creek, you can go swim after them, even though you're not supposed to swim on the Sabbath. You can go get them out so they won't drown or die. But someone breaks their arm, you can stop the bleeding, but you can't reset the bone that day. That would be too much work. Once again, this is not in Scripture. These are the oral traditions. Can you imagine how much extra pain that causes to look at someone and go, oh, that's the Sabbath, I can't fix your arm that's clearly crooked until tomorrow, come back. God never intended this, and Jesus knows it. The Sabbath was for good. The Sabbath was for worship. 
The Sabbath was so that we work very hard for six days, and then one day we do nothing so they can remember him. That was the intent. It was good. I wonder how many of us need that in our lives. We, we Sabbath for an hour every night before we go to bed by watching a show or just checking out. But a day where you get everything done before that so that one day is just for you and for the Lord. God is our creator and sustainer. He knows us and, and he knows that's the rhythm that we need to live by. But this synagogue leader, he's taking what was intended for good and he's using it not only to make sure he retains his power and authority, but he's using the rules to legalistically tell Jesus that what he just did, his act of mercy, his act of compassion and grace, it was outside the bounds. And, and here's the craziest thing, church. As messed up as the synagogue leader is in understanding the intent of the Sabbath, he's exactly right. Jesus could have healed that woman the next day. He could have. She's been afflicted for 18 years. He could have easily healed her the next day. But instead, he chose to demonstrate his power and his authority. And he chose to make a very, very bold statement. He chose to show that he is not bound by man's conjecture and legalism. He is bound only by his obedience to the Father. But Jesus knew that the leader was using the Sabbath and its gift for his own legalistic gain. And, and Jesus responds to him very, very succinctly. Luke chapter 13, 15 through 16. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Now that's plural, so it, it clearly denotes that there were more than just one. The synagogue leader was the one speaking, but there were many who were up in arms by such an audacious act of Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. So he says, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? That's work. You, you can't do that on the Sabbath, but you do because to leave your donkey or your ox tied in the stall for an entire day without water, that's cruel as well. So you break your own rule to show mercy to your livestock. How much more so am I showing mercy to this young woman? Verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, an Israelite, a child of God, whom Satan had kept bound for 18 long years. She's been tied up and restricted for 18 years. And all, all I did today was untie her. All I did today was set her free. That's all I did. How much more so is she deserving of that than your livestock? But I set her free on the Sabbath day. I set her free from what would bound her, what has bound her. I showed her grace and mercy. I had an opportunity to save a life and I took it. And you're hypocrites. You, you do the same thing on the Sabbath day 
for your animals. How much more valuable is this child of God? You bend the rules when it helps you. I bend the rules to save a life. And Jesus says, now back off. Because I'm obedient to the Father. I'm obedient to his commands. I'm not trying to rewrite the book. I'm here to fulfill the law. But I'm going to show mercy when mercy is due. And Satan, our adversary, he doesn't take a day off work. He's attacking and he's crippling every day, every single day. And so my victory today was not over the law, was not over your rules. My victory today was over Satan. And you saw Satan fall. You saw the kingdom of God advanced. You saw a woman healed. I, I don't apologize for that. Because my actions, they, they demonstrate two things. They demonstrate the heart of God for his people, for his creation. And they demonstrate God's power over the authority of Satan. Satan has no authority here. He has no authority in your life. And what happens next is so fitting. It's not a shock for any of you who are following the story. What happens next is what I think should happen. The people took notice. They saw what Jesus had done. They heard his response. And Luke chapter 13, verse 17, closes out our story for the day. When he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated. Oh, you're right. We're wrong. Dang it. That makes us look really bad. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. That phrase, wonderful things, it's better translated all the beautiful things. Jesus brings beauty into chaos. Jesus brings beauty into the work of Satan. Jesus brings beauty into your life. And he's not going to let legalism or man-made rules stop him from doing that. And the people saw the beauty on that day. They saw a woman who once was like this and is now like this, transformed forever by the power of God. They saw that and they rejoiced. Those who were criticizing Jesus, they were silenced. Even more so, they were humiliated because of their blatant hypocrisy. You, you do similar things for much less reason on the Sabbath. So you, you, you need to stop. You need to stop now. And they were demoralized, not intentionally, but because of their own wrongdoing. Those who witnessed rejoiced because they'd witnessed beautiful things. The healing of a woman they saw that, but they also saw the defeat of religious hypocrisy. That's something to be rejoiced as well. How often are we limited? How often are we held back because of religious hypocrisy? They saw the victory of the kingdom of God over Satan, and they rejoiced in that. What a great day at church. And I know you're watching this online, but... That's our heart, that's, that's our prayer that, that 
when people gather together, they gather together to see the beautiful things that God is going to do. We don't just do this to hear a message. We don't just do this to check a religious box. We don't just do this to feel better about ourselves. We do this to see the beautiful things that God does. And he does them all the time. And he does them far outside of our putting him in a box. Our oral traditions, our expectations, he does not operate under those. He operates out of love and grace and compassion and mercy. He operates out of a mentality of being for you. And that's beautiful. And that's something we should rejoice in. At the end of the day, at the end of verse 17, they had a really good Sabbath day at church. They had a really good day. And I hope the same for you today. I I do. I, I wish the same for you today. Today will be a day where God does beautiful things in your life. Why? Because one, he cares, he sees you, he knows what you need. But then it can also be because you ask. Because you ask him to move. Where do you need to see the victory of Jesus in your life? Because he is victorious. He's victorious over sickness, hurt, sin, despair. He's victorious over all those things. All the things that Satan wants to use for his glory. He's victorious over all of them. And desires to use his victorious power in your life. Sometimes we just need to ask I hope, I hope that we refuse to allow legalism to stop the move of God in our life. Oh, you, you, can't, you can't do that. That's not, that's not acceptable. I don't think God takes that message very seriously. What he desires to do, he will do. And God wants relationship with you, not just rules that you boast in. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to see you for who you are. And we put on this facade like the synagogue leader did of, well, we, you know, we, we have to obey the rules. Yeah, God commands us to obey. But more than that, he wants to know you. And he wants to celebrate the beautiful things in your life that he's done. And he wants you to give him thanks for that. So today, as we conclude, maybe the most important thing I can ask you to do is to give him thanks for the beautiful things that he's done in your life. If you're struggling to think what those might be, then I challenge you, I challenge you to ask him to do beautiful things in your life or the life of others. If you want people with you to be praying that, for you and for others, summitonline.tv forward slash prayer. Let us know. We'll be praying with you. We would love to see God do beautiful things in your life, just as he did for this woman who had been suffering for almost two decades. He can, he will. Let's not allow ourselves, our insecurities, our pride, our traditions to stand in the way because our God is good. And he does beautiful things. Father, 
Today we ask that you would move, that you would hear our prayers, that you would respond with grace to our faith, that you would save and transform, you would restore and renew. God, you would do beautiful things for your glory in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.